0: Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold.
1: So, welcome, everybody. This is Cameron Harold. I'm the founder of the COO Alliance, and this is our podcast, The Chief Behind the Chief. Today, I actually have one of our COO Alliance members. Uh, Joe Asparaguera from Life Matters on the show and Joe is going to be giving us some of his tips and systems and insights as to what it's like to be the second in command for a very high energy, um, um, pretty awesome entrepreneur named Scott Thompson. So Joe is the current COO for Life Matters. He brings 25 years experience as a corporate finance professional and a CPA into his role. He didn't start off in finance, but he first served in the U.S. Army after graduating from the University of Maryland at College Park. After his service, Joe began his career as a CPA at a local firm. And following years in public accounting, Joe worked as a controller CFO for a succession of venture capital-backed startups. He then went on to work uh, at Linens of the Week, which is a national linen service where he was the VP of finance and HR. He also functioned as the CFO for Resolve at Inc., a national IT staffing and consulting firm, after which he successfully started and ran his own finance consulting business, JE Consulting. He's currently the CFO and functions as the second in command at Life Matters, whose mission is to serve their clients with um, fully customized home care plans, highly trained, skilled caregivers that deliver a full range of in-home services for people who need physical assistance or medical aid. And we're talking to Joe Esparaguerra. Joe, how the heck do you pronounce your last name? Joe is
0: so Uh
1: Life matters. How do you say it, Joe?
0: Esparaguerra. Esparaguerra. Or esparaguerra. Esparaguerra. Esparaguerra, if you really okay. want to get.
1: I will, um, I will kind of say I'm Canadian uh, and, and uh, grew up with French. So all of a sudden I get a Spanish name in front of me, man. And that is, that's a tongue twister for me. Joe, how's it going? <laughs> Good to see you. Good to hear Good. you. How are you doing?
0: Very good. Very good. Very good. All's well.
1: Well, thank you, for, um, thank you for being on the podcast today. I wanted to just ask you some questions about what it's like becoming a COO and being a COO. So we'll keep it kind of conversational for everybody today. But why don't you just give us a little bit of a background um, as to your experience prior to you coming on board as the COO for Life Matters?
0: So uh, my background is as many years ago, I became a CPA so I, uh, after working in a smaller CPA firm, after working Ernst & Young for, after, after the Army, actually, after a few years in the Army and then working at Ernst & Young, I went to a small CPA firm and kind of became uh, a bit of an IT and tax consultant. And then I moved on and started doing venture-backed companies um, as a controller or later on a CFO for brand new entities. I did four uh, internet a- entities in, starting from 94 all the way through 2001. And um, generally raising money uh, or setting up systems. Some of them became quite large. Uh, some paid off okay, none paid off great. Some paid off all right. And then I did uh, CFO for a linens company, uh, very low tech, but very much fun and very much in keeping kind of with my uh, uh, little bit of a, a blue collar background as far as how I was raised. And then I um, uh, did another internet startup company in the medical field. Uh, did some staffing, did CFO for some staffing companies. I tend to be a fix-it CFO, a CFO who comes into the company and fix it. And that's actually how I was hired here.
1: Okay. And so I
0: started that. as a CFO here for a year. And after a year, they they asked me to be COO and CFO, which is and what I am today.
1: And Harvard wrote an article years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO. And, and often COOs play very different roles in their... You know, they're really the second in command to the CEO, but they sometimes, like you are running the finance group and other times they're running IT and engineering, other times they're sales and marketing focused. So you tend to be, it sounds like from all of your past COO type roles as well, very finance and systems focused. Would that be accurate?
0: Yes, yes, yes. We have another gentleman who's the other executive here of the three team, executive team. The other gentleman runs the outward facing things. He runs the BizDev group, marketing, and our recruiting function while I run everything in-house, the operations, client services, accounting, finance, AR, that kind of thing.
1: Cool. Now, how did you end up meeting with the um, the entrepreneur, the CEO, um, Scott? How did you guys end up connecting? How did he recruit you and bring you on board?
0: Uh, very bizarre. Uh, I was running. I had my own consulting firm. I was very happy doing my own consulting thing after uh, the sale of one of the companies, and was uh, a gentleman I was working with and had known for years uh, shared the same athletic trainer as Scott, the the CEO of Life Matters, the CEO founder of Life Matters, and. Literally, Ron, uh, my my uh, former uh, boss, ran into got showed up early for a meeting, showed up early for a workout session, and the trainer asked Scott asked uh, said that Scott was looking for a CFO. He mentioned my name and then did a series of lunches with Scott, met with a couple of other people, and he brought me on.
1: So they did a, a fair number of interviews with you to bring you on board. When um, Once you started, how did they onboard you? How did they get you up to speed in the role? Because it's pretty amazing to come in at such a senior role over. And how many employees have you guys got kind of across the whole Life Matters organization?
0: Um, at that time, we had approximately 600 employees, uh, of which 55 approximately are internal What Life Matters does is is, uh, home care, which means that we we have RNs, CNAs, and so forth that are billable. So approximately 550 of the people were billable CNAs or RNs um, that work for us for different time periods. So any given payroll is about 600 people. Now it's about 750 people. Um, So coming on board, onboarding, frankly, at that time was – uh, not really something they did um, as far as with me. So, so the former CFO had been dismissed and he was somebody that had worked with Scott Thompson from the beginning. And uh, he was very, he's a very positive guy, very good, grew to help grow the company to a certain point And they needed, they wanted me to take it to the next level. Got it. And so, they- so no, not really an onboarding no. process, I would say.
1: Well, then how how about the trust side of things? I mean, that's something that's often critical in the CEO-COO relationship. How did you and Scott quickly develop the trust and the communication between the two of you so that you could really operate as that yin and yang with with Scott?
0: Uh, It it was a lot of challenges. I mean, I wouldn't say – he certainly does not give trust quickly. Um, You really do have to earn it with Scott. He does – uh, he He values length of time um with a person, in other words, he tends to trust those who have been with him for longer um, and I noticed that very quickly and was concerned that I wouldn't ever have as good a relationship uh but what I did was we spent time we i I paid attention to what he wanted I paid attention to what he needed um and i I, I guess because I had already done my own consulting gig, I, I wasn't afraid to stand up to him and simply say, you know, what you're saying doesn't work or won't work. Here's how it can work. And he, he, he is uh, the type of leader who does appreciate when you stand up to him with respect. Uh, when you stand up to him with good ideas and challenge his ideas in the end, he just wants things to work. So he valued that. And once once we got there, and once I I proved myself in that regard, and plus, I have a good work ethic, you know, I was coming in weekends and that kind of thing. Then he started valuing uh, my input and letting things, letting me run things. That's
1: cool. It's interesting, you touch on something that I think is often very overlooked. And that's that the the CEO is in such a role that people often don't push back with them. They often don't tell them what's really happening. It's kind of the emperor has no clothes and, and they know that and feel really alone with it. And I think they really actually respect the good, healthy conflict when it's driving towards the good of the organization. You know, they, they're running the company or started the company often that they really want somebody who's, who's being critical of them and telling them what's going on and giving them the other side of the story because they're already having a lot of that self-doubt in their own mind and it's really great, healthy conflict that builds trust. And I think often when a, an entrepreneur doesn't have that in the COO, that's when the relationship doesn't work. Um, it's often like a marriage. You know, there's no way that you can go through years and years of having a marriage with somebody and not have conflict. But the key is to have the conflict about be the, about the, the situation, not about the person, right? It's not about Scott It's or the CEO. It's about something you disagree with and you're giving your side. And then as a team, you can kind of make the best decision. So I think that's smart that you've, kind of notice that and that he's really okay with that. That's where the trust really comes off of.
0: Um, yeah, very much bit, so. What's that? Yeah, very much so. I mean, and one thing about Scott is he, the challenge he has or has had was that he was very good in starting the company and building it up to a certain point. And even he admits we're in a gray area where we're a $27 million company which is neither small, it's not that big, but it's not small either processes and, and, and systems are what matter. And that's not really his strength. He's, he's much more of a people person. So for sure. And tell me a little bit about, um, you know,
1: often an entrepreneur has a vision in their mind. And I don't know if you guys have created the, the concept that I codified called the vivid vision. Um, If you do have a vivid vision, tell us how you've used that internally. And if you don't have one yet, how have you been able to figure out the vision Scott has for the company and start to help make that come true? You know, he's probably got an internal vision in his mind of what he wants the company to look and feel like in a few years. How have you started to read his mind and and helped him make that come true then?
0: Yeah, with Scott, it, it, so we do not yet have a vivid vision. We are, we actually just spoke about that yesterday. Um, no joke. We just actually literally just spoke about that yesterday. Um, our vision statement is not very widely known amongst our our team, and that came through in an employee survey we did. Right. Um, um, we've got to get that out there. Uh, what I'm helping Scott do is Scott, Scott has a vision for what he wants the company to be in terms of size and, and scope. Um, what I'm helping him do is define what that vision means. in in terms of what exact services we can offer, he doesn't, Scott does not want to be a simple home care company that operates in the Washington DC Metro area. He, he has much grander ideas than that. I, I guess, My role right now is to try to help him connect up those grander ideas into actual executable plans. And that's actually what we're doing right now.
1: Yeah, the planning side is what all the the COOs tend to be good at, right, is reverse engineering the goals of the entrepreneur. So I'll um, I'll send you a copy of what the vivid vision is supposed to look and feel like. I cover it in two of my books, in, in chapter one of Double Double, and then also in The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, I've codified the concept of vivid vision. And my new book that um, is just coming out now on Amazon and on Audible is called Vivid Vision. So I'll get you guys copies of that so you can get yours out as well. Um, Please. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about, about you then working on your skills. You know, at the end of the day, every day that we wake up, um, you know, the company is probably the biggest thing we've ever run in our life, right? It just keeps growing underneath mm-hmm. us. How do you continue to grow in your skills as a second in command?
0: Uh, you know, so first of all, I mean, I, I have a different perspective because it's not, it, it this is my first official chief operating officer job. Um, I've always had the CFO role and CFO roles have a bit of a, a uh, ability to uh, criticize from the cheap seats. And it's funny because I think I was guilt. Now that I look back, having now in the CO role, looking back on the CFO roles I played before. I, I get the feeling one of the things I'm starting to realize in the CRO role is you're living in the cheap seats. You, you, mm-hmm. you've got to, uh, you can't get it, it. Some of the criticisms I laid out at, out at, uh, what we would do in operations from the CFO role. I'm now living and having to fix myself. Um, the management of people. So so the difference, a, a big thing in So, I, I come to a lot of things with a CFO perspective. One challenge, so challenges. I'm facing the challenge for myself of having to manage people in which I did not do their job. One of the beauties right. of being a CFO that came up through the ranks
1: sure.
0: as a CPA and all that was, I know exactly what a staff accountant does. I know exactly what an AR person does. In some ways, when I talk to them, they kind of know, they know I know what they're doing and they know I know their mistakes. In some ways, I get the respect of the fact that, yeah, my boss would probably do my job better than me. But when you're the COO, COO and you have so many different departments under you, um, you didn't do their job. Um, so you're going to be leading people who, you don't know exactly what they do all the time. And one thing I have uh, learned through several mistakes is making assumptions that I actually did understand what they did. Hmm. Um, So that mistake is something I'm working every day to avoid. Um, I'm also taking a different attitude than I did as a a CFO. I, I, I've done it so often and done it so long. I could be a kind of a, a natural close my eyes leader and, and know where to go with the COO role. I I can't do that. I, I, have I've, I've adopted the, the, uh, the attitude of a servant. In other words, and, and this is not something that comes naturally to me, but I actually just want to help my managers my line managers who are frankly better at their job than I'll ever be at their job.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So that's what I, right. No, no go ahead. No, that's what I'm working towards every day. I, and and that's only a fairly recent realization I've had um, is, is I look for opportunities every day to help each of my managers. And at the end of the day, I literally look back and I say, which managers did I help? Which did I not help?
1: Well, it sounds like you're, what you're starting to realize now is that the org chart almost flips upside down for you and that no longer are we on top delegating and holding people accountable and managing. Really, we flipped the org chart. So we're at the bottom and we're supporting the, the VPs who are supporting the managers who are supporting our staff. who are supporting the clients. And our, our job is to grow people and it's not to be better than them at their job, but it's to be maybe better at developing them as leaders. So our our role often becomes, how do we grow people? How do we develop them as leaders? How do we um, grow their skills? How do we grow their confidence? How do we remove obstacles for them? How do we help align them? Um, and much less about telling them what to do, but much more about helping them do what they do. And um, right, right, yeah, it's, it's I've story. gotten a lot
0: better. I've gotten a lot better at saying, uh, which is something that does come natural to me as far as delegation. But I, I have written in the last 24 hours, I've written at least three emails, which say, I don't add value to this conversation anymore. Here's my two cents. Stop copying me on this. You guys make the decision or you, you, you know, I designate who should make the ultimate decision. And then I say, it's your call. I'm out. Yeah, you got this, right? It's kind of like when our kids are growing up, All you know, the first
1: few years they're alive, if we're taking them on a trip, we pack everything for them. And then all of a sudden they get to a point, maybe they're, you know, eight, 10 years old, and we say, okay, here's a list of stuff you need to pack, pack your stuff. And sure enough, they show up on trips and they've got pants and shirts that don't even close to match, but they've got some pants, they've got some shirts. And then, you know, by the time they get to 12, 13, 14, they're packing their own stuff and they're quite capable of, you know, forgetting a couple things, but and but remembering everything else it's the same as our team that we're growing so you're at a really cool stage how um how involved do you get in the day-to-day um conflicts with your team are you getting them to solve them on their own or are you kind of stepping in and solving them for them
0: no okay so i mean our uh, it's fine the employee survey that was recently done um Uh, interdepartmental conflict, even within the departments that report to me. So forget about marketing, recruiting, and biz dev, which report to, to Craig, but within the departments that report to me, the interdepartmental animosity is, is been identified as a big problem. Um, We have managers of departments, and I just had a conversation this morning twice with, with two different managers about, um, their approach, they, there's always going to be conflict between departments. Um, at least the departments I know, uh, AR, AR has conflicts with client service, client services with AR, um, and so forth, HR. Um, I've asked them, I had a manager who I believe has approached every situation with the, with the other department. She's very defensive of her own department and wonderful with her people. Frankly is but she but she approaches every other department with an assumption that A, they're stupid or they're lazy. Um and that I've I had a discussion with her and I said, I want you to eliminate that idea altogether. I want you to assume that if somebody's not doing something you're asking of them or telling them to do, you have to approach it as they were not trained properly, they don't understand your orders or they simply, have not had, uh, they, they simply have not had the time and have not prioritized it the right way because you've not provided them the right priorities.
1: Interesting. I, I even and start
0: that, with yourself. I read yourself. that last night in a book just on
1: relationships in general, and it said that the person should always assume that it was their responsibility or their mistake that they didn't communicate clearly to the other person. It's not that the other person, they're told, it's not the other person didn't understand. It's not the person didn't, you know, wasn't uh, paying attention. It's that that the person delivering the message or delivering the project or delegating wasn't clear. And I think the, I learned early on in my career that the onus is on the receiver. That when you're getting someone to do something for you, the, the onus is on you to make sure that they're very clear on what that result is supposed to look and feel like. And if you delegate very clearly and you support them through that whole thing, you often get um, the success you're looking for.
0: Right, right. And then, and then the other thing was, um, I have people who have what they consider toxic. That the, another department's manager is toxic to them, and 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 they've been running away or avoiding. I've literally had people say, "Well, I'm not going to go talk to her. I'm not going to go see her." And I've demanded, um, and I've had to do it quite strongly as an order rather than just a request um, that you have to go and you have to go face who you perceive as your enemy because a they're probably not your enemy because there's no value to having an enemy inside a company and b you you can't fix something unless you talk it out Mm -hmm. and if you can't if you do talk it out you may not you may agree that you will never get along with each other and that's okay at least
1: you talk through it
0: Yep, yep. So I'm forcing a couple of my people to go, my support staff to go to our operation in Virginia and go fix some things.
1: There you go. Tell, tell me with the advice that you would give the typical or the average CEO to uh, in working with their second in command. What advice would you give the CEO or CEOs in general?
0: Uh, draw the line as to what you want to do and what they're going to do. Um, and I know that sounds so generic, but I would also say, but make that really practical. In other words, if, if your CEO is, wants to set a certain tone within the company, if you're going to be a good cop, bad cop, that's okay. In some ways, uh, that's what Scott and I have. Scott's somewhat the good cop. He's somewhat the guy. Who is always extremely positive and, and I, I like to be positive, but I have to be more realistic. Um that's okay, but make that decision consciously because it can end up if they if you don't want your staff confused that yeah. that uh that they can step and also draw the line of communication. I'm a big chain of command guy. If you wanna go, if you wanna go uh back your managers And if you don't like what they're doing, talk to them privately. I know that, again, that's another very basic concept, but um, make sure before you make a public announcement that that is exactly what the COO, if you're the CEO, make sure the COO has already said those things in three other ways before you issue it.
1: Um,
0: Yeah, because you can undermine them unknowingly.
1: Yeah, without even knowing that you've done it, just by the, the CEO saying something, giving a directive, giving feedback, you do often undermine the second in command. And like you said, you're doing it completely unwillingly. Um, you know, I think yeah. we've all heard that that saying before of public praise, private criticism. Um, but I had a huge issue years ago with a team, and I was really frustrated with us as a company, and and I really had to get them to um, to kind of change things. And I literally just kind of let them have it, and I really. Kind of ripped the team apart in front of everybody and um and kind of felt good about you know giving them all shit and 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 wow did i ever destroy the culture for three months <laughs> like right. unbelievably destroyed. i just totally dropped the energy i created a silo it was an us and them environment people thought i was a jerk and and it doesn't serve any purpose at all for for a leader let alone a ceo but for a leader to be negative or harsh on their team let alone you know even doing it in, um, even doing it in private it doesn't do much so how do you deliver criticism or harsh feedback um, or really kind of tighten up expectations with people without dropping the energy so any any secrets or tips that you've used as a leader as a
0: coo too? well so, so admittedly with my cfo background which cfos tend to be viewed and often are in my experience not negative but no is the starting position a lot of times as a cfo um yep and so what i've had to do and one thing i've learned in your coo forums is i recognize my tendency to be uh, not negative, but I would, I would say I'm a, I'm sometimes a, a glass half empty guy. And so I have worked very hard in the last few months to, uh, I, 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 to avoid in email communications, in my verbal communications a, a negative bent um, because my guess is, is, even if I tremendously overcompensate, my negative tendencies will come out anyway. So I'm kind of starting from a a negative viewpoint and just trying to get back to zero. (laughs) And so by doing everything in plus four, you know, sometimes I sound downright cheesy um, because the crew know me and they, they kind of add the positive four with my negative two and, hopefully they come out somewhere around positive 2 on the positivity scale.
1: Well, it's interesting. I think a lot of ways the COO often sees all of the pieces to make the goals and the dreams happen so we can come off as negative when all we're really doing is being fairly practical with it all. We just see the resources, we see the people, we see the time, we see the money, we understand all the moving parts and we see that it necessarily just can't happen right now. So one of the systems that I created years ago in working with entrepreneurial CEOs is they often don't want their idea to be blocked and they often in, in the absence of a system to keep track of their ideas, they just start things. Um, so what I've done is I've created a list. Picture it almost like a, a filing cabinet and every idea the CEO has becomes a file folder and you put the name of the idea on the file folder and you throw a bunch of notes and ideas into the file folder and once a quarter, you pull out all the file folders and say, which ones are we going to start this quarter? Which ones are we going to throw away? Cause they're now kind of stupid ideas. And which one will we put back in the filing cabinet and revisit in three months again. And you kind of have that yeah. ongoing list for them as a way to keep track of their ideas, but not necessarily start them. Do you guys do anything that way at all so that you can operationalize the ideas and the systems without, without saying no. And by the way, I do agree that, a leader, a leader needs to say no more often than we say yes, it's just kind of how we do it as well.
0: Right, um, so as far as, uh, one of the problems the company had before I arrived, and I'm not gonna say it's, it, I'll say it's better, I'm not gonna say it's totally gone, is it, it and again, employee surveys revealed this, uh, as well as just uh, office chatter, is that we started too many things that were never finished. Um, so when you talk about file folders, what we did, one of the things I did when I became COO was I put in place, which was only June of this past year, um, I put in place a weekly meeting of the management team, um, which includes the people reporting to me and reporting to Craig, and the the, the department heads and. I have a list of the projects, and we literally review all the projects. And on there are the projects, you know, it's prioritized from top to bottom. And in that is the things from the CEO, which he wants, which have been uh, filtered and somewhat interpreted and then prioritized by me into that list. Uh, I'll admit, some of them I agree with tremendously, and some of them I don't. Some of them, I, I think, are, are come from his lack of knowledge of the day-to-day. Um, so I'll work, I'll work them in as I think will meet his goals eventually, but are realistic given our other priorities. So when you talk about file folders, mine would be more in, in lines of a list of things. And everything that Scott wants is on the list, but I'm not going to say everything that Scott wants is at the top.
1: No, that's, that's exactly, that's all they really need is the, to know their stuff is at least on the list and then they can see, they can actually, with the list, they can actually see all the ideas and they understand why theirs necessarily hasn't risen to the top. So I think that's a perfect system for sure. You um, yep. you mentioned meetings and a meeting rhythm. I'm not sure if we've actually used the worksheet or the, the tool that I created called the decision filter at the COO Alliance yet, but I'll bring it out at the next event um, and we'll we'll start using that tool as a group. But it talks it kind of works through that process of deciding how an idea should trickle to the top or not. I'll send you one when we get off and I'll link it in the show notes as well. Uh, the decision filter is a really great tool for companies to use to green light, yellow light or red light projects. Now you also mentioned meetings. And in my, um, in my second book, Meetings suck, I talked a lot about how to actually, um, teach our employees on how to attend and participate in meetings do you do anything internally with your employees on teaching them how to participate more, or any general rules or systems that are working for you guys, working well in, in the area of meetings?
0: So, um, uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big proponent of short, very timed, very specific meetings, and that is not something that happened here. Um, as I understand it before there, there used to be long rambling, um, non-agendized meetings. Uh, so we tend to do a lot of half hour phone calls with different groups, depending on the project and, uh, keep it very tight. You you know, you can't pass the timetable. It's set. Um, so I, I've not put any process in place, Cameron. I wouldn't say I, I, what I did is I'm ingraining it in the culture and I'm seeing it getting adopted at all levels mm. where they will convene very, I, I, I see the invites, I, I, I'm copied even if I'm not invited sometimes. And they'll, they're adopting that culture of the 15, the 30 minute meeting to, to do this very specific thing and understand it and then move it on and get it onto the agenda. And that's, so the culture, you know, I wish, I think my next step is I've got to get a more formalized process involved, but I'm certainly getting in the culture for the, the bim, bam, boom. You know, what are we talking about? Who do we need to have there and get it done? Well, I'm going
1: to recommend then you get all your employees to read the book meeting sucks. Seriously. Like just buy it in bulk, have all your employees. read it. It will literally change the culture of your company in a huge way. 30% 30% of the book Meetings Suck is written on how to run meetings, how to set them up and plan them. 30% of the book is how to show up and participate and be an attendee at meetings. And then the last third of the book is what meetings we need to have to build truly successful, high growth companies that have great cultures. So it is actually changing the whole um, conversation around around meetings. I do a few things, and you've seen this at the COO Alliance as well, that we check our cell phones at the door. You know, We don't use our cell phones during the meeting. And I started thinking about Olympic athletes. You know, you don't see an Olympic athlete running their race, looking at their phone. You know, you don't see them swimming their 400 IM looking at their cell phone. Like they're engaged. They're completely engaged. They're doing the one thing. And if they don't have time for it, then they'll just won't do the race. You know, it needs to be the same with meetings. It's a bit of a weird analogy, maybe using the Olympic athlete, but the reality is if it's a 15-minute meeting or 30-minute meeting and you can't completely engage for that time, that's okay. It means you're probably too busy. Then don't come to the meeting. And we need to make that really right. work all the way from the top to the bottom that it's true of the CEO down to the very frontline staff that we need to be completely engaged. Tell me about right. your typical right. day. What's your typical day like as a COO? And then I've got one more question just to wrap things up after that. So what's your typical day like as a COO?
0: Um, I am, uh, I'm getting in and usually I, I start, I usually have a morning session of with particular managers on particular subjects. So, uh, Tuesday mornings this morning was with the AR and accounting team, 30 minutes with the AR team, 30 minutes with the accounting team to set priorities for the week. I'd rather do that on then on a Monday morning because Monday mornings tend to be hectic for them. So, um, we tend to do half hour. So tomorrow I have a half hour. I have the 45 minute session with the man. So I tend to just do that. And then I'll admit the rest of the day, other than the four things I may need to finish, which I write down. And I know you, you've encouraged the, the get three. Um, for now I'm just writing them down. I try to commit to four things I will get done, but then my day gets eaten up inevitably like everybody else's with the unexpected in my case it it's stopping being dated it's lower it's fewer and fewer day-to-day items and more dealing with exceptions um and dealing with systemic issues some of which i knew were on my list but not not all so i'm glad to say that when what my day is becoming is a series of very short meetings with giving me time to, um, because we're geographically dispersed, uh, give me time to gather, uh, everybody through emails and, and let them know what I think needs to happen. And then they kind of share that we, we use teams as well to kind of do that. So uh, like anybody else, I would say it's 30% structured and 70% unstructured.
1: Yeah, I've actually been recommending to leaders as well that they only schedule 70% of their day and they leave 30% of it available as buffer time for that unexpected meeting or assisting a team member or just getting stuff done. Um, So Scott, if you were to, or sorry, um, Joe, if you were to to give a COO or a second in command some advice on if they were attending the COO Alliance um, for the first time, what advice would you give them on coming in to make it the best possible meeting for themselves?
0: Uh, come in, um, I'm not going to use a cliche, open-minded, but come in ready. The way I came into it was I came in ready to expose the positive and negative of what I'm experiencing. Um, and I shared both the positive and the negative, and I emphasized the negative frankly, because if it's positive, what the heck, I don't, I don't really need to share it all that much. Uh, so come to the meeting, uh, with a, a list of your challenges, but make them honest, make them, make them challenges that are, are not just for your company, but they, they usually have to do with you. you know, one of the greatest things that came from COO events for me, is a realization that the people I'm managing um, are actually paying attention to everything I do. I never knew that. That's not necessarily true of a CFO. Um, The COO is just under a microscope constantly. So my tone, how I answered a call, whether I returned a call right away or not, I I was shocked to find that. And that's something I learned at the COO Alliance. But I learned it because I shared the fact that that really wasn't how i thought things were and then i learned in the co alliance that is how they are
1: well i think what you're touching on is that's the way we also need to show up every day in our roles as well that we need to show up vulnerable we need to show up authentic we need to show up as our best selves but we also need to show up you know as humans and the reality is none of us are getting out of this alive none of us have really ever got all this figured out you know we're all just human trying to do our best and like if we show up in our roles that way every day, and we also remember that our, our team members are showing up that day, it, it really does build the connection that we're all starving for inside our companies and personally. So um, Joe Asparaguerra, is that right? Yes, Joe Asparaguerra from Life Matters. Thank you so much for being on the, uh, the podcast, the chief behind the chief today. Really appreciate all your time. And I look forward to seeing you at uh, one of our next COO Alliance events as well. And say hi to your CEO, Scott Thompson for me too. I will. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate all the time, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.